This is an ABC podcast. Is Donald Trump coming back? Maybe you thought you'd heard the last of him. Maybe you're thinking, I don't care. I don't want to hear any more about him. Well, listen, a lot is happening in US politics right now, and we could be about to see some big changes. G'day, Dave Marchese with you for the Hack Podcast. In a bit, we're going to explain what's happening with the US midterm elections, which are getting underway. Also, there's something evil happening tonight. You're going to have to keep listening to find out what. First, though. Hack. The new vaccination ads are targeted at gay and bisexual men on Triple J. You know, a few months ago, we were hearing a lot about monkeypox, that viral infection that started kicking off around the world, including here in Australia. But while we did a good job of keeping numbers down, we've had just over 140 cases since May. Experts are a bit worried that people might be becoming complacent, especially those most at risk. And that's gay, bisexual, other men who have sex with men. And with World Pride coming to Australia early next year and thousands of people travelling here from all around the world, the racers now want to get as many people at risk vaccinated so we don't have an outbreak. Let's get up to speed with what's happening. Heath Paintners, the Deputy CEO of AFAO, the Australian Federation of AIDS Organisations, and he's with us now. G'day, Heath. Thanks for jumping on Hack. Hi, Dave. Thanks so much for having me on and uh, very happy to be here. Can you just remind us what monkeypox is and how it's spread? Yeah, so monkeypox is an infectious disease that is in Australia being spread um, uh, entirely between, uh, as you said in your introduction, um, gay and bisexual men and and other men who have sex with men. And it's been transmitted through sexual contact uh, um, only. So um, I think while anyone can get it, the important thing to remember here is it is concentrated among a particular demographic and we don't expect that to change, um, um, and we'll get onto this shortly. Uh, uh, but, but in light of the number of vaccines we have in Australia now, okay. And what are the symptoms? Like, what sorts of things should people be looking out for? Yeah, so there were two types of broad symptoms. There's the systemic symptoms and the skin-related symptoms. And so, systemic symptoms are the kind of things you might get with flu or even COVID. So, chills, fever, uh, lethargy achy bones. So that's one type of group of symptoms. The other group of symptoms, which is very common, are skin-related, and they're like lesions or sores or pustules. And anyone with monkeypox could exhibit both or one or the other. And it's really important that people seek immediate medical assistance um, with any of those symptoms, and particularly with the systemic symptoms, because what we don't want to have is a people diagnosing themselves with the wrong disease and actually remaining infectious. So that the message really is um, based on those symptoms to seek medical advice. You spoke a bit about this just before when you said that it is a certain demographic, but it's not a gay man's disease or a disease that like will only affect men who have sex with men, right? That, that's absolutely, so you're absolutely right. Anyone could get this disease. Um, and there are people outside of Australia, um, uh, women uh, and, and other demographics that have acquired the virus. And indeed, in, in Africa, um, there are five countries where this virus is, is endemic and it's a generalised epidemic. So that means anyone in the population can get it. It's been transmitted very differently there and it's, it's not particularly relevant um, for the epidemic here in Australia. Um, but it is only being transmitted. Um, so it's newly in Australia and it's only being transmitted among gay and bisexual men. And that's because of the way it's being transmitted. 
um, outside of endemic Africa. So if we talk about the vaccine, there was talk earlier this year that we didn't have as many vaccines as we would have liked. Maybe it was harder for people to get hold of one. How are we looking at the moment? Yeah, so there's a global supply issue with vaccines and um, um, around the world there are limitations, but fortunately here in Australia, um, our government, um, uh, and so this is the the Albanese government, so this happened literally as they came into government, was very proactive in pursuing an order of the vaccines. It's called Janaeus, and they actually uh, ordered an enormous supply. And so there are enough vaccines for everyone who is eligible in Australia right now. And in fact, this week we just received 40,000 vials. And just to give that context, one vial can be spread across between three and a half, three and, a half and five people. Oh, so that's right. the way it's administered. So in actual fact, it's not just 40,000 doses. It's it's roughly around probably over well over 100,000 doses. So there are there's enough vaccination vaccines in Australia for everyone who is eligible. And just remind people how the vaccine works, how many doses and that sort of thing. Yeah, sure. And, and it's, it's a really important question because it works a little bit differently to the COVID vaccine. And I think people are very accustomed to thinking of vaccines through that prism. Um, this vaccine actually will stop you getting the virus, whereas, for instance, the COVID vaccine simply work to reduce the symptoms associated with infection. And so you need two shots with at least one month between the first and the second. And uh, um, approximately two weeks after your second vaccine, you you will be overnight, have 90% plus protection against um, acquiring this virus. So it's very, very effective at um, um, substantially reducing the risk of infection. And what about country areas? Because we've been hearing that depending on what part of the country you're in, it might be a bit difficult to get your hands on a vaccine. Is Is that the case? Yeah, look, I think, um, I mean, if you look at health in general in Australia, um, um, providing health services to people in rural and even remote areas is a challenge. And, and that's a challenge with any disease from the big non-communicables like Alzheimer's and diabetes all the way down to concentrated and low prevalence epidemics, um, in this case, concentrated epidemics like monkeypox. Uh, but I think one of the features of the work that um, a lot of stakeholders in Australia have done over the last five months is to cooperate with each other. And I think we've seen great cooperation between state and territory governments to work with each other, between the Commonwealth and state and territory governments, but also um, among community-led organisations that serve gay and bisexual men to work across the country. And, and I think what we've seen is um, real efforts to ensure that we can spread the vaccine, vaccines available, not just to people in the city, but to people in rural areas. And of course, some people may have to travel if they are living in rural and remote areas, but I'm confident that, that all people who are eligible, regardless of where they live, will be able to get vaccines based on this latest supply. I've been seeing that there's a bit of a campaign that's been launched around this so people are up to speed as we head up to summer and things like the World Pride events and all the rest of it. How do people get more information about where they can go to get a vaccine or just more info on monkeypox? Yeah, so our um, FAO is a a national peak organisation and our New South Wales and Victoria member organisations, ACON and Thorn Harbour Health, have launched a national health promotion campaign on the Emanate, so that's E-M-E-N-8, the number, .com.au website. And you can go into that website and click on monkeypox 
and you can put your postcode in it and it will identify the closest areas or, or, or closest services that provide uh, monkeypox vaccines. And I really encourage all gay and bisexual men um, uh, who um, have only had one or haven't had a vaccine to go onto the Emanate website and to, um, uh, to to book an appointment to have um, either their first or second vaccine as quickly as possible. Heath, we do have a few questions coming through. Like someone says, can it be transmitted by oral sex? Another person says, um, is it you know anyone who has anal sex, for instance? Yes, yeah, so um, so anal sex is a, um, a, a a very big risk factor in transmission. So if in in the um, in an episode of anal sex, if one of the people um, were to have monkeypox, that would be a high risk situation. Um, and again, with oral sex, that is a high risk situation. What we know is is this virus, and it's, again, it's still early days, but we're, we're almost certain that this virus is being spread through semen, so seminal shedding, um, um, and both anal sex and oral sex between um, gay and bisexual men are high risk, um, uh, and ca- oh, that's a high risk scenario for transmission. Um, people, ca- and of course, the vaccine will substantially reduce that risk. People can consider using condoms. That may not stop transmission entirely, but it could reduce the risk of an individual acquiring um, inflammation in their rectum um, or in the penile area. So they are considerations for people who haven't been vaccinated. All right, good information. Thank you very much. Heath Painter, the Deputy CEO of AFAO, thank you very much for joining us on Hack. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. Hack. You got one day until one most important election. Tomorrow you have to crush the communists because that's what they are. On Triple J. If you've seen a whole bunch of news about elections in the US and you're thinking, what? Hold on. Didn't they only elect Joe Biden a couple of years ago? You're correct. You are seeing news about elections. The midterms are happening in the US now. And these elections happen every couple of years. And because we're only halfway through President Biden's term, he's not up for election again. But the results of these elections could have a massive impact on his presidency. And guess who's back campaigning? The guy you just heard from there, Donald Trump. And everyone's expecting some big news from him soon. Politics in the US can be really confusing. I get confused. Politics in Australia can be confusing. So I want to get the full rundown from someone in the know. Associate Professor David Smith is from the US Studies Centre and he's with us right now. David, thank you so much for joining us. Good afternoon. Can you just, we'll we'll do a bit of a refresher. So in the US, the way it's set up is they have, like us, a lower house, the House of... House of Representatives. The Upper House, which is the Senate. Yes. And the whole thing's called the Congress. Yes. So it's Congress that's getting elected in these midterm elections. Everyone in the House of Representatives and a third of the senators because the Senate term is six years. The president himself is not on the ballot. The president is elected completely separately from Congress every four years. Right. But these elections are often determined by the president's popularity. It is effectively a referendum on how the Biden presidency has been so far. And unfortunately for Democrats, they currently control both houses of Congress, but Biden's approval rating is around 40%. And they only control it by a a slim Really, really narrow margin. So 10 seats out of 435 in the House of Representatives and a margin of zero in the Senate. They have to rely on Kamala Harris's tie-breaking vote. Now, 
More bad news for the Democrats is that the president's party has lost seats at every single midterm election except for three since the Civil War. Right. So history is really against the Democrats. The economy is against the Democrats because there's been so much inflation over the last year. This is something that people can see happening on a day-to-day basis. So even if economic growth numbers are good and uh, jobs figures are good, what people keep seeing is prices going up and interest rates going up. So um, all of these factors are working against the Democratic Party. It seems likely tomorrow that Republicans will take the House of Representatives and there's a very good chance that they will take the Senate as well. So we'll go from Democrats controlling both houses to Republicans controlling both houses. Interesting. So that's what it looks like. If we go by history and how things are looking at the moment, that's mm. that's what it seems. Voting's not compulsory in the US. That's Is right. there generally uh, a smaller turnout at the midterms than the presidential elections? Yes, absolutely. People are not paying as much attention when it's not a presidential election. And usually turnout is at least 10% lower in midterms than it is in presidential elections. But we saw that turnout in the last presidential election was really high by American standards, two thirds of the population turning out when often it's only around 50%. And for a midterm election, it looks like turnout at this one is going to be very high as well. Perhaps not as high as the presidential election, but nonetheless still pretty high. And it shows that the uh, the, the political mood is really inflamed there at the moment on both sides. And as well as that, an enormous amount of money has been spent on this race between the two sides. Sixteen billion dollars has been spent uh, on wow. this on this midterm election, which has broken every record for a non-presidential election. That's crazy. So if things do go the way some predict, yep. the Republicans take control mm-hmm. of both houses, yep. what would happen? Like, how does that change Joe Biden's presidency? Is there stuff that would happen immediately? Like, have the Democrats yep. found it pretty easy to get things through up until now? No, they found it very hard to get things through because their margins have been so narrow. Yep. And in the American system... You don't have to vote with your own side the whole time. So Biden has actually found it very difficult to get things through. Basically, it would become impossible to get any more major pieces of legislation through. If Republicans take the House, then the House investigation that's been going on into Donald Trump's role in the January 6th riots, that would just be over. And Instead, Republicans would launch retaliatory investigations of their own. They've promised that they will investigate the Attorney General because of the FBI raid on Trump's house. There are plenty of Republicans saying that they want to impeach Joe Biden. I've read about this. And so when we say impeach, we're talking, impeach is a word that they use in the US. Yes. Talking about when someone holding public office is formally accused of misconduct or something like yes, that. Yeah, yeah. Impeachment is like indictment. So the House of Representatives can impeach someone on a majority vote, and it looks like Republicans are going to have the majority. So what would they impeach Joe Biden for? Oh, there's all kinds of things that they're talking about. Uh, It's everything from Hunter Biden's misdeeds uh, when Joe Biden was vice president to... Uh, the fact that Americans were left behind during the withdrawal from Afghanistan. So, I mean, it's very unlikely that Biden would actually be removed from office because removal from office then requires two-thirds of the Senate to vote in favour of it. Now, you may remember Trump was actually impeached twice during his presidency. 
Um, on one of those occasions, uh, one Republican senator also voted to remove him. On the second, seven voted to remove him. But neither of those was anywhere near the 16 vote uh, Republican votes that were needed. So Biden wouldn't be removed from office, but he would be facing all of this kind of uh, political theatre. If Republicans get the Senate as well, I mean, they wouldn't get enough votes to, to remove Biden, but if they get the Senate as well, it could become almost impossible for Biden to appoint anyone because for a president to appoint someone to a cabinet position or a court position, for example, they need the uh, approval of the Senate. Now, we saw during Barack Obama's presidency when there was a Republican Senate, when a Supreme Court vacancy came up because of a death uh, in the last year of his presidency, the Republicans just refused to let his, his nominee through, refused to even have a debate about his nominee. That would happen again. Uh, Mitch McConnell, who's the Republican Senate leader, there is no way he would let Biden appoint a Supreme Court justice if a vacancy came up. In fact, the last time that a Republican-controlled Senate um, let a Democratic nominee for the Supreme Court through was 1895. So there's not a lot of precedent uh, for it. So it would become very difficult for... Biden to appoint anyone. I've got to ask about Donald Trump, David, because, you know, we've been seeing a lot of buzz around this today. There was all this speculation that he might have been just Mm. uh, about to announce his standing for election again in a couple of years. Is that likely? Oh, yes, I think it's very likely. He, it was actually rumoured that he wanted to announce today, right on the eve of the elections, but Republicans pleaded with him not to do that because it would take the focus off their campaign. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons why Republicans are poised to win is because they've been able to distance themselves from Trump a little bit, keep the focus on Biden, keep the focus on the economy without the kind of distraction that Trump provides and also the motivation that he gives to Democrats. But I'd say he's going to announce very soon because he wants to make it harder for all of the investigations and lawsuits against him. And and And, just quickly, David, someone says, I thought impeachment disqualifies you from running again, but Trump is back. How does that work? Impeachment can disqualify you from running again if you also get removed from office and if they then vote to... um, disqualify you forever. So that's one of those things. It could have happened in the 2021 impeachment, but the Republican votes just weren't there. So he hasn't been disqualified, even if one of these criminal investigations resulted in him being convicted, he would still be eligible to run for president. Very interesting. Look, there's so much we could spend a whole hack episode on this. Unfortunately, we don't have time. American politics expert David Smith, thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure. And I've got a lot of messages coming through on this. Someone says, seems like many people in the US want to see Donald Trump return. Another person, Christian in Baxter, says the cookers are on the loose and feeling emboldened by their Lord Trump's potential return in 2024. New South Wales Parliament passed legislation protecting Aboriginal cultural fishing 13 years ago, but incredibly, it's still not been fully implemented. On Triple J. Earlier this year, we brought you a story about cultural fishing, First Nations people catching fish for their community sustainably. It's been a big part of culture for many saltwater people for thousands of years, but in recent times, many Indigenous fishers have been battling the law. Like some on the New South Wales south coast have complained of being harassed by fisheries officers and it's meant that younger people are now too afraid to go diving because they're worried they'll be charged. 
There was a big New South Wales parliamentary inquiry into this. It's just released its findings this week and it's found the treatment of First Nations fishers has been unacceptable. Kira Proust has more. It really has damaged me. It's sort of made me not want to jump in the water anymore. I've slowly stopped providing for my family because it's just gotten to the point where I'm going to go to jail. 21-year-old Will Bunjaman John Carriage Jr. has been diving for lobster and abalone since he was a little kid, but he's also grown up seeing his father and elders fined and jailed for exceeding government-imposed fishing catch limits. He escaped a criminal conviction earlier this year when charges relating to abalone possession were dropped, but he says the threat of prosecution hasn't gone away. I'm just sad and sad and scared for what's going to happen next uh... Am I actually going to go to the jail or am I going to get banned from the ocean like my father has? While the rights of Indigenous people to hunt and gather are recognised under Commonwealth law known as native title, New South Wales legislation to protect cultural fishing still hasn't actually been implemented since Parliament passed it in 2009. That's 13 years ago. So you might be wondering how does this work? Basically, the government can pass a bill through Parliament, but that doesn't mean that they will actually act on it. So it can just sit on the shelf, so to speak, until they do something known as commencing the legislation, which gets the ball rolling in the real world. To try and figure all of this out, they ran something Parliament's love, an inquiry, and the findings were handed down this week. The inquiry's chair, Mark Benaziak, from the Shooters, Fishers and Farmers Party, says the delay is kind of crazy. It's deeply disturbing. It was disturbing three years ago when I raised it in budget estimates and they have failed to adhere to the will of the parliament. They've actually thumbed their nose at the will of parliament and in some ways worked against uh, the will of parliament. So there obviously is a cultural problem in the, in the Department of Fisheries. More than 200 Indigenous fishers have been prosecuted in New South Wales since the legislation passed 13 years ago. Around a third of the charges laid against Indigenous fishers in that time were eventually withdrawn or dismissed. But for some, fighting the charges has come at too high a price. I went to the bank and I, t- I took $10,000 out for my lawyer now. And I, I had to plead guilty because if, if I'd wanted to plead not guilty, I would have had to get another barrister and it would have cost 30 to 40 grand to fight it out the whole way. That's Ewan man 21-year-old Anthony Henry. He was convicted and fined more than $10,000 in August this year for joint possession of around 1,000 abalone on the south coast in 2019, which he says was for cultural fishing purposes. The inquiry recommends that a training program be rolled out within the New South Wales Department of Primary Industries to educate fisheries compliance officers about what cultural fishing actually is. They haven't been able to sort of distinguish between what's sharing and bartering between a community and what then steps over the line and becomes being in possession for a, a commercial benefit. And we see that's where really the flashpoint has been and and that's where the education needs to be with the department to to be able to make that distinguishment or you know, differentiate between those two issues. The government now has until June next year to actually get the legislation going to protect Indigenous cultural fishing. But Rudy Mann and Barrister Tony McAvoy SC says the government needs to take action before the state election in March. To allow this issue to drag on and 
be dealt with by the next government would be a sorry indictment on, on the political process in New South Wales. The Department of Primary Industries says it will respond to the report in due course. Meanwhile, John Carriage Jr is hopeful for the future and he still plans to dive to feed his family. I'm not angry at anyone about it. I'm just sad and I'm just over all the fighting and I want changes to happen and it's up to me and a few of us generation to show who has the knowledge left to show this, our culture and how we hunt and gather and yeah, so it's basically up to me. If not, I don't know who else will. Hack on Triple J. Kira Prowse there, an important story. Kira's been keeping track of it and we'll make sure we keep you updated here on Hack in the months ahead. Hack. Across Australia tonight, stargazers will be in for a real treat. Over thousands of years, it's meant different things to different civilizations. For many, it symbolised evil, a warning of demons, animal attacks or an assault on a king. A blood moon. I mean, it just sounds scary, right? Even if you're not superstitious, it's still a very cool thing, a total lunar eclipse. And guess what? There's one happening tonight. In a bit, I'll run through the best times to see it, but let's find out what a blood moon is. Kirsten Banks is an astrophysicist. She's with us now. Hey, Kirsten, thanks for joining us on Hack. Hi, thanks for having me. What causes a blood moon? So a blood moon happens when the sun, earth and moon line up perfectly in that order such that the moon moves into the shadow of the earth. And in that moment, the light from the sun isn't quite completely blocked from the earth. Some of it actually does get bent through the atmosphere. And because of how our atmosphere works, the particles in our atmosphere that gives us that blue sky, a lot of that blue light from the sun is scattered away, leaving behind mostly red light, which then falls on the moon, making it turn red. And right, okay, well, that explains why it looks red. Are they rare? Well, they usually come around once a year on average, but this year, this one that we're going to see tonight is the last one until March 2025. So there'll be a bit of a gap until the next one. Okay, I just want to give people a bit of an explainer of where, when they can see it. If you're in New South Wales, the ACT, Victoria, Tasmania, so the East Coast, about 9.15 local time, that's when the total phase begins. The moon will start turning red. Queensland apparently is going to have one of the best views at about 8.15 till 9pm. South Australians, about 9.30. Territorians, 8 30 in WA a bit more complicated because it's such a big state but about 7 p.m in Perth and then it'll start earlier the further north you are in WA. Kirsten any tips for people who want to check this out? Now this is one of the greatest celestial events for everyone to see because you don't need any equipment you all you need are your eyes so if you go outside find a place where it's relatively clear toward the east you will see the moon. It's one of the easiest things to spot in the night sky and it will be glowing nice and red from the start of those times that you mentioned there for all states and territories. All you need are your eyes and that's the beauty of it. it anyone can observe and enjoy this event. So good. I'm, I'm really looking forward to this and a lot of people really get around it. They, you know, want to get out there with their friends, check it out. Kirsten, you're a Wiradjuri woman. We heard before about um, how ancient civilizations maybe viewed a blood moon or a total lunar eclipse. How have First Nations people interpreted blood moons? Well, First Nations people were keen observers of the night sky. So whenever the moon changed drastically like it does during a lunar eclipse, 
that was definitely noted by many Indigenous nations across what we now call Australia. So for others, for many, it was seen as a bit of a bad omen because it's it's quite shocking if you're not expecting the moon to turn red when it does indeed turn red. So many groups would see it as a bad omen that maybe a relative was in danger or someone on a journey had become sick or was injured. But there's even some really great stories around this as well. The Ladil of Mornington Island actually viewed the moon as a greedy man who would steal food and keep eating and eating until he got fatter and fatter. And that shows the phases of the moon. It's getting bigger, getting to a fuller size. And then a lunar eclipse marked his sudden death, which was punishment for stealing food and this taboo of gluttony. So it's fantastic to see that the the night sky is kind of this illustration of this story to teach these very important lessons to young people. Yeah, so much history there. Just quickly, uh, Kirsten Banks, are you going to be out watching it tonight? Oh, you bet. I have got my spacey friends keyed up to go look at it and take some photos, so I'm very keen to see what we find. Oh, we'll make sure we keep following you. You'll have all the updates. Astrophysicist Kirsten Banks, thank you very much for joining us on Hack. My pleasure. Some people on the text line messaging in about the blood moon. Someone says, ah, yes, the so-called blood moon. Someone listening to Tim Shepherd's news updates this morning, I think. A lot of other people messaging in about the midterm elections in the US. Another interesting story we covered today. Someone says, Donald Trump, has he ever really gone away? Another person says, with Musk buying Twitter and Trump with an announcement coming up, you don't have to be a genius to know what's going to happen next. Hack. On Triple Jack. Big thanks to all of our guests and everyone who's stoked, excited, really looking forward to seeing the blood moon. That's all we've got time for on the Hack Podcast. I'll catch you next time.